Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast. I'm Jen Stevens. I'm a retired teacher, the author of several books, including the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, and I love nothing more than building community. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've spent my life helping others through my work in healthcare and as a volunteer for various organizations. We are friends who share a love of learning, problem solving, and bringing people together. Each week, join us as we share inspiring stories and bring you new ideas designed to help you live your best life. So now let's learn something new, get inspired, and have some fun. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing great. Me too. It's been raining really hard here. So everybody, you might hear some rain pouring down during the podcast on this metal roof that I'm right underneath. Well, I always thought the spring was our rainy season, but it has. my yard hasn't dried out since weeks ago. It's like yeah. a sponge. And then we went walking at this park yesterday. And they, I mean, like I have standing water in my yard and I'm thinking, do I have a water runoff problem? Do like, I didn't start thinking I had a problem of some sort. I was like, my yard should not be this wet. But we went to this park yesterday and they still, they had standing water in the park. So I'm like, okay, apparently the ground is just saturated here and cannot absorb any more water. So last night I thought our septic tank, we have a, not a septic tank. Yes, we have a septic tank. I thought it was full. Oh, like, no. And I tell Eric, because it was raining really hard, and I went to wash my face, and water is, like, filling up in the sink, not going down. Oh, no. And it's, like, a brand-new sink with brand-new plumbing. So I, I was, like, I knew it wasn't a plumbing issue. And I'm, like, Eric, I think it's time to call the septic company come clean out our septic tank. And he's, like, why? And I said, because I can't even get the sink to drain. He's, like, I bet you have something in that sink, blah, blah, blah. And I was, like, I do not. Did you? There was... A, well, okay, you know the little clear plastic thing on the back of your estrogen patch? Yes. It's like a little piece of cellophane? Yes. I guess it had fallen down in the sink. That's so funny. It was stopping it up. And it was, yeah. And so he gets in there and he pulls it out. And he's like, really? Nothing in your sink? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's so funny. (laughs) Well, and you know, you've had that happen before where your septic tank has gotten clogged up. Right before we went on our cruise in 2019. I had to call the company out because I, yeah, I was having nightmares. I was going to come home to sewage in my house. Yuck. (laughs) (laughs) I've never had a house with a septic tank before and it freaks me out. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think I, I lived in, in the mountains of Virginia and we had a septic tank back then, but I I feel like not since, I don't know. Definitely not. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hello sewers. Yay. I live in a very, I have a very flat yard at the bottom of a hill, a block from the river. So water table's very high anyway here. And uh, yeah, I don't feel like it would take a lot for me to have a house full of sewage. That's my worst nightmare. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On that note. (laughs) that, that, That would not be good news, but I do have some good news. Each week we do our weekly good news segment. And by now, you know, that's really how we love to kick off the show. But you might wonder why. Well, we believe that in today's real-time digital age, we are inundated with negative news 24-7. You cannot escape it. You turn on the TV, it's there. You open a paper, it's there. I mean, 
I think people still read the paper. I don't read the right? paper. Do people read the paper? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, some people must, but I don't. <laughs> so, but you can't even get on like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram without seeing real time negative, traumatic, and violent news stories. We want to showcase another side of humanity the good, the kind, the caring. And we want to verbally thank people who provide great customer service because all too often we only hear about poor customer service. And even if the person who's being given a shout out never hears us share their story, I believe putting good out into the universe. And because I always secretly hope that somebody hears a good customer service story and thinks, hey, that's my Lowe's or that's my plumber I use. And then I hope they pass along the message to that person that their small act of kindness was shared with thousands of people over the airwaves. I challenge each of you listening to email me one piece of good news after you finish listening today. If you're not driving, stop the podcast right now. Send me an email. I know you have good news to share. I know there is a fabulous person in your life that has either inspired or helped you, that you've had a customer service representative who went above and beyond and deserves a shout out. Or maybe you're just really thankful for a person in your life who makes your life better and you want to send them a special thank you for us to share on an upcoming episode that you can share with them later. We want your stories, basically. So email us at connectedlifelessonscommunity.com and then listen to hear us share your feel-good contribution. And I know Jen asks you for that every week, but I'm making a special plea to you. So with all that said, I want to share an inspiring good news story out of Perth, Scotland, shared by Jen, not Jen, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) J-E-N, or as I am, (laughs) G-I-N. She said, hi, ladies, I ran across this story the other day and thought it was such inspiring news that I wanted to share it with you. I know you both love health and science, and maybe your listeners do too. A retired nurse with a great nose may have helped scientists develop a test for Parkinson's disease. Joy Milne had noticed a peculiar musty smell coming on off of her husband's neck and back for years. About 12 years after noticing this persistent peculiar smell, Her husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. She still had no idea that the smell was associated with the disease until they visited a Parkinson's support group, and she noticed the same distinctive scent coming from other people with the disease. Currently, there are no chemical tests to diagnose this disease, but scientists heard about her uncanny ability to smell Parkinson's disease, and they were inspired to create a skin swab test that analyzes sebum from the skin on a patient's back as a screening tool. Currently, they have achieved 95% accuracy on testing of a control group and a Parkinson's positive group. These scientists analyzed about 4,000 compounds that were collected on the test swab, and they found that in the Parkinson's group, they had about 500 compounds that differed from the control group. So these scientists are pushing forward with more trials, and they hope that within two years, this test can be used as a screening tool in clinics. All of this hope for early screening, thanks to a lady with a sensitive nose. And I totally understand this. I love that she sent this story in because I have a very sensitive nose. I can walk into a room and know if a person in the room has high blood sugar. Yeah. I mean, you know, they actually have have dogs that do that, right? They Mm-hmm. Dogs that can alert Sniff on whether their owners have yet. Yeah. yeah. I think I saw a story like a year or two ago where there were dogs that could scent, pick up COVID smell on people. <laughs> wow. Like as a COVID screening tool, some dogs could recognize it. I don't, 
The nose knows. That's true. <laughs> so listeners, as Sherry said, we need your story. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. And listen, send them in all the time. You could like send in 10. We would love to have them. And thank you so much. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we always like to take a minute to tell you about the companies that make it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And today I want to go back to all of the amazing companies that are featured at jenstevens.com slash cleanish. Those are really some of my favorite companies. You know, when it comes to eating mainly clean, you know, I rely on meals from Green Chef and window openers from Daily Harvest and also clean wines from Dry Farm Wines. When it comes to the products that I use on my body and in my home, I love a beauty counter for my makeup, skincare, shampoo, and conditioner, and also Branch Basics for my household cleaning needs. Oh, listen, Sherry, I was watching a TV show. Do you ever watch, do you remember Christina and Tarek who did that flipping show? Well, she has one now. Now she's in Tennessee. It's Christina in the country. I was watching an episode of that this weekend. And the person whose house she was redoing had Branch Basics. And I could see them. And I'm like, that's Branch Basics. Anyway, I was super excited. Uh, You know what I just learned works, Branch Basics works amazing on? What? Cleaning your makeup brushes. Oh, that's a good idea. Like I just took a, a coffee mug full of water like warm water, and I squirted some Branch Basics in it, and I just stuck them in there to, like, soak, and then it washed right out. Oh, now I need to clean all my makeup brushes because it's been, I won't tell you how long it's been, so. (laughs) But anyway, I was super excited to see Branch Basics there on the TV show. If you haven't already read Cleanish, now would be a great time. You know, don't let it feel overwhelming. Every positive change that you make will add up to make a big difference in your overall chemical load. So go to jenstevens.com slash cleanish for links for both the book cleanish and all of these companies that I love so much. There's special offers for all of them there for Green Chef, Daily Harvest, Dry Farm Wines, Beauty Counter, and Branch Basics. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we're going to talk about living a life full of peace, joy, and harmony. Do you have a picture in your head about how you want your life to be, but for so many reasons, you just can't get there? Perhaps it's unresolved feelings from your childhood or getting caught up in negative self-talk and negative thought patterns. Maybe you are your own worst enemy. You are so convinced that you're going to fail or you don't deserve to achieve your goals that you self-sabotage along the way. And you continually live out this self-fulfilling prophecy. Perhaps it's fear of change and an inability to let go of things that don't serve you that is preventing you from living a life of peace, joy, and harmony. Today, we are joined by Tanya Kolesnik, a psychotherapist and life coach whose life purpose is to help other people live lives that light them up. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Well, we are really glad to have you here today. And before we get into your background and your story, what is the main lesson that you hope to share with our listeners today? I think the main lesson that I really want people to take home is this idea that we all have conditioning from our childhoods, different messaging, different stories, different narratives, limiting beliefs that grow out of being human and being raised by human parents in cultures with human beings that we really need to unlearn in order to be able to connect to our truest selves as adult. Those messages can stay with us in adulthood if we're not mindful about checking in and learning about what's our truth and what is some messaging that we just 
have taken with us. That's huge. I love the fact that you talked about unlearning it because it's possible. You know, Mm -hmm. no matter how old you are, listeners, you can dig in, find out what's holding you back and unlearn some of those things. Yes, for sure. Well, and I'd like to say, too, I don't think it's always from your childhood. It could just be your life experience as an adult. I was in a very abusive marriage where I was married to a narcissist who continually told me I was fat, ugly, and worthless. And you start to believe those messages after a while. And it took me a long time of getting away from that to come back to who I was and, you know, get that programming out of my head, so to speak. Yes, definitely. I mean, I'm glad you're pointing that out. It doesn't have to be childhood, but that along the way, often in childhood, but then other kind of intense experiences that we may have along the way can shift some of our belief structure and messaging. And to unlearn that would be really important. So what led you to the the work that you're doing now? How did you get there? So I actually started my career as a graphic designer. And around that time when I was in my mid-20s, I was really longing for a love relationship of my own. And I was struggling to have one. And I really didn't understand what was in the way for me. At the time, I mean, this was more than 30 years ago. At the time, I felt a lot of stigma about the idea of therapy. And I was sort of dismissive of my own problems, thinking, well, that's not really legit enough for therapy. So I didn't initially go towards that. But over time, when the when I was still struggling, I did finally open up to the possibility that therapy could be a way for me to learn what was in the way for me. And so I got some names. I connected to a wonderful therapist named Bonnie. I felt immediately emotionally safe to start sharing my story with her. And then pretty early on, she suggested that I add group therapy to the mix. And she ran both. So she would have me join an existing group with other people. That idea terrified me. I The thought of being as vulnerable as I was being with her with a room full of who at the time were strangers It did really scare me, but I was starting to trust her. She thought it would be helpful. And I was kind of intrigued, so I did it. And it was in that process where I started to connect to other people, people who I was starting to get to know and starting to really admire and realize that the things that I thought were maybe unlovable about me because I was making up my own story, my own reason for why I was struggling with this love relationship and started to realize, oh, we all have some similarities, some similar insecurities, some similar things that we struggle with. And it helped me realize that I wasn't flawed. I was human and start looking at what my story might be and know that I wasn't alone. And in that process, pretty early on, I started to just connect to other people and met my husband. He and I just celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. In September. So it's like the reason why I went happened. I wanted to figure out this long-term love relationship piece. But what I didn't anticipate was connecting to myself, learning about needs, undoing some messaging, learning I wasn't alone. 
and getting this support from other people was so powerful. I ended up deciding to change my career. I went back to school. I got my master's degree in social work and became a therapist and then later a coach and have been doing that work ever since, but always loving group, especially because the power that the, the transformational quality that I experienced when I was in it, but also in the work that I do with others, when I see them grow in group an individual can also be helpful and powerful, but there is something about group that I feel gets right to the heart. I am right there with you 100%. You know, we run an intermittent fasting community, the Delight on Deny community, and it's so much more impactful hearing from one another than just like me telling them stuff all day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that was a classroom teacher for 28 years. And, you know, my classroom was always a safe place for the kids. It was elementary. And they realized, like, we talked through our struggles and realized that everyone had had similar kind of things. And you could see them be like, wait, I'm not the only one going through this. You know, it just, it's powerful to realize you're not alone. Yes. One of the things that I think is really powerful about group is as you are sort of, let's say, coaching people in your group, right? Mm-hmm. And you're building them up and you're reassuring them and you're giving them suggestions or support or helping them problem solve. Mm-hmm. What I feel like ends up happening when people join our group, I notice that they will give really great advice to somebody else, right? But then they'll make a post where they are so down on themselves and they are talking so ugly about themselves or their success, right? But then you'll see them 30 minutes later give somebody else this great encouraging advice. And something that I feel like starts to happen is the more you give this really encouraging advice to others, Mm -hmm. suddenly you're able to start to apply it to yourself. Do you think that's true? I do think that's true. I think it's like the more you hear yourself saying certain things, the more aware even you get of, wait a minute, I say that, but I'm not doing that. I mean, I think it can be in group where somebody could give that feedback. I mean, I don't know that it automatically will shift all the time. Sometimes it will if somebody Mm -hmm. just hears themselves enough. But sometimes it does take somebody else saying, you're so amazing at telling us, sort of supporting us, reassuring Mm -hmm. us. And do you hear the way you talk to yourself? And so that kind of mirroring with each other is part of what can be so powerful in group, either that or hearing yourself. And that starts to kind of lead to some kind of change. So it could go either way. Well, I wonder, too, how much of it is like, you know, we'll have people, they come in and they join for a year and they they start out as our newbies, you know, and we get to know the newbies really well. They're the ones that are there posting every day, several times a day or whatever, you know, and they come to us when like they're usually feeling pretty like this is it. I've tried everything. I can't get where I want to be. I'm not healthy. I don't have a good relationship with food. I don't have a good relationship with myself around food, with self-talk or whatever. And you, it's like you watch them grow, I feel like, because they come in so down on themselves. But as they start to get a little bit of confidence and things start to go right, like you can really start to see the light shine from them. And, you know, and six months later, they're now the encourager instead of the one needing encouragement. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how much comes from them gaining confidence or them seeing that, like, they're not alone. 
Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not the only one. Oh, wow, I'm not the only one that struggles. There's 3,000 other people here whose story mm-hmm. is just like mine. Jen tells her story, and so many people are like, oh, my gosh, Jen, you just wrote my story. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think it's both. I think it's that realizing you're not alone, building some trust in yourself, connected to like, oh, there's other people who see me, who get me, who understand me. And then that does help, I think, for us humans to kind of go maybe on a little bit of a leap of faith at first. Maybe the confidence isn't 100% there yet. But then as you're engaged in that sort of that unfolding and starting to really believe in these new ideas that maybe were a struggle. They get firmer and firmer over time. But that experience that you're describing is one of my, I feel like one of the biggest honors of the work that I get to do is to see that the relationships form between the people in my groups and our ability to see growth in each other often before we can see it in ourselves because Mm -hmm. it can be so incremental And when we see it and we celebrate that with each other, I just think that that's part of the magic that comes together in a group situation. Absolutely. So one thing you do is you help people see how to turn their life around, light themselves up. What about the the self-talk, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecies, the negative self-talk that they're already know it's not going to work. Things aren't going to be different this time. How do you help people that are dealing with that type of negativity, those loops in their head? Yeah, it's such a consistent part of the work that I do. I think Mm -hmm. we all have a negative, (laughs) yeah, like inner critic at some point. Some people have worked on it more than others. Some people maybe have more of sort of that edge to it than others, but to help people start to catch it, when is it happening? learn when it gets triggered most of all, what else is going on? Because that negative inner critic could be something that comes up mostly when you're trying something new or when you're exhausted and depleted or when you're dealing with certain people in your life. So if you can start to pinpoint when it comes up and understand what else is going on in the sort of those moments, it can be really helpful. So that's one part of the work that I help the awareness, do. the first yes. step being aware yes. of that it's happening. Yeah. 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 And to allow yourself some time to get that awareness. We don't necessarily have that awareness unless we pay attention. And so when people start to say, oh, this is coming up for me, we might just spend a week or spend a couple of weeks just observing that. When does it come up then? And building that awareness. I I love a mantra. I find mantras to be really super helpful. So if somebody is starting to recognize, oh, my negative, my inner critic goes to what's the matter with you, I feel like is the one that I hear the most of all people Mm -hmm. say to themselves, what's the matter with you? So let's say that's something that you say to yourself, it could be catching that. And if you know when it's starting to come up, you may even be able to catch it more quickly than if you don't have that awareness and then to replace it and with some kind of a reminder, a little mantra. So it could be something like you're trying something new. I know sometimes that feels really overwhelming, like you're doing great or or some kind of little reminder of a different voice so that that other voice can start to get some airtime in your mind and start to build and that you can turn that inner critic 
voice very deliberately sort of turn it off and refocus. It doesn't mean it's easy. It takes some time to strengthen that muscle. And it may take repeating that again and again to fully believe the newer voice. So it's as simple as creating a mantra based on what you know is your internal struggle, flipping that around to an affirmation or a mantra that you can use when you feel like you're going into those negative patterns. Instead, you have a new phrase that you you can say to yourself to, to get you on the, the path that you're hoping to go down. Yeah, it absolutely can be as simple as that at times. At times, though, there might be some healing that still needs to take place. So even if we try to flip it, we're bringing a new mantra and we're aware of when it shows up. If we don't, sometimes, not with everything, sometimes it is a habit and that sort of creating new habits is enough. But for example, for me, for a long time, I used to have a real tendency towards people pleasing and I would be very overly accommodating for other people. Now I'm so aware of that and I kind of have figured out where it comes from mostly and I have an understanding of it so I can spot it quickly and I can turn it around because I've worked on it. But before I did some work on it, I didn't really recognize, oh, my identity is caught up in this idea of being nice, being accommodating. I'm worried I won't, I will be rejected if I'm not nice and accommodating. And so I really had to do some work on that first before flipping it around could have more lasting power. Do you have a mantra that goes with that, that you tell yourself? It's usually more like, you're being really accommodating, <laughs> like just a reminder <laughs> uh-huh, when it's right. happening, like just to call it out for myself. Very kind, no judgment. It's just like, remember, this is what we look for. So that kind of idea for that one. I have all kinds of things that I work on. And one that I'm working on right now is just this frenzied pace of work. I more recently am slowing that down and realize that underneath that is this idea of like, I have to hustle to reach all the career goals that I have. And I'm changing that. And so Mm -hmm. when I catch myself starting to get a little bit overwhelmed, I'll say, nope, take a pause. Let's just figure out the the next step. And so I'll have a little reminder for myself to very deliberately slow it down and see where I'm at and make a conscious decision about what's next. I find that people tell themselves false truths, right? Like, I always fail. Nobody Mm -hmm. always fails, right? Mm -hmm. So how helpful is it when a person thinks, like, if a person thinks constantly, I always fail, this isn't going to work. What what tip would you give them to turn that around? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I know what I know what my instinct would be to tell them would be to tell them to stop and think about something you didn't fail at Mm -hmm. so that you can change that narrative to, I am often successful or something like that. Do you have anything better, a better way to do that? Well, I think what you're suggesting is great. But one thing that I would say to what you're describing is how insidious this stuff is. Like it can be so hidden inside of us, we don't even realize we're doing it. So to even catch that language is really helpful. So So to to learn to recognize that thought Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. And even say, oh, 
I, in my own head, I use the word always because you might think that you have this idea of feeling like, oh, I fail. But if you really peel it away, oh, I do say, there I go again. I'm always failing. Like getting that language and actually capturing it is really helpful. I think the way you suggested somebody turn it around is really helpful as well. I often ask people to work with me like a collaborative effort towards figuring out language that resonates for them. Because I think the thing is, if we don't have a real belief in what it is we're saying to ourselves instead, we can get really dismissive of it. Right. And so I think it's so important to figure out, okay, what would you believe if you said to yourself? And so do a little of trial and error, like even just taking a piece of paper, brainstorming every phrase you can think of and start to craft, like, what do you think, what speaks to you most of all? And put together something that really speaks to you. And it very well could be what you suggested, which is pick a success so that you can sort of turn that thought around or prove it wrong, really. Right. See, that's what you said, prove it wrong. I'm I'm, I'm feisty. (laughs) 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 So, I mean, if somebody walked up to me and said, you always fail, I would be like, the hell I do. Uh (laughs) Let me tell you what I've done, you know, but at the same time, you know, I am, you know, guilty of some negative self-talk. Right. Mm -hmm, And so, but I have taught myself to catch that and be like, okay, no, that's not true. Mm -hmm. You know, you have been successful. You have done this, look what you've done. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. yeah, you're stuck in a rut right now, or you can't get things to move forward the way you want to right now, but look at what you've done. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. Recognizing that you're doing it is the first step because if not, you go down that little rabbit hole of doom. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing that um, I just thought of as you were talking is the idea of a lot of the inner critic stuff can come up for us when we're dysregulated in some way. And so to not necessarily have to go for the content, it could even be something like, huh, I know that's not true. Why am I going there? You know, I I mean, especially after you have become more aware and you do have some kind of way of turning it around, but it still is going to come up at times when you're maybe feeling more depleted, like I was saying earlier, or feeling like you're in conflict with somebody and you're just more dysregulated and to Mm -hmm. know, oh, hmm, what's, what do I need? Like, Oh, you just focus on that, actually, helping yourself get to a place of regulation and not necessarily going for the inner critic and maybe honoring instead that you're having a moment that needs some, you need to take care of yourself and nurture yourself in that moment. I do a Mm check-in when I'm feeling, you know, you ever have those days where you're just like, Yeah. And I'm grumbling at my husband and I'm irritable and I'm like, I have to stop because I don't like to be that way. And then I'll be like, so I go like, who, what, when, where, why? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, who is bothering me? No, 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 who? Mm -hmm. So what is bothering me? When did this happen? Why did it happen? What can I do about it? Mm -hmm. And then it's like, once I've identified what's really got me irritable, then I can be like, okay, well, what am I going to do about that? How am I going to solve that problem? Because in my mind, it's like, there's a problem, there's a solution. So let's just solve this so I can go back to being my happy self. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great, I've never heard of that, listing those questions right then when you experience that. But that's such a nice tool, I think, to go right for that. 
And it breaks the cycle. You know, you can get caught up. What's the name of that book? Alexander and the Terrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Exactly. I think I left off some oh, of the words I in know there. That book. Uh, yes. <laughs> I think the title is a little longer than what I just said. Maybe not. But, you know, we always read that to our elementary kids. And the mm-hmm. whole point of that is, you know, as Alexander is going through his day and it's terrible and it's no good, it just gets worse and worse. And it's like breaking that cycle. So maybe every adult needs a copy of that book, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've used that before. I think I've actually made a Facebook post once that said, I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and then it's like, but then you have to like stop and be like, okay, but that's not the kind of day I want to have. So Mm -hmm. what what am I going to do about that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I love both really, like to honor it, name it, it's happening, you're in it. Mm -hmm. And then even just that alone can sort of ease it up some just to be able to name it and say, I'm in it. And then explore a little and see what's going on for you. Yeah, I'm a vocalizer. So mm-hmm. I'm that person that has to just get it out talk there, it through. talk it through, get it out, yeah. and then I can move past it, right? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. my, you know, then there's my husband who's going to internalize it. He's going to stew over it for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And you can see the stew brewing, you know, and you're like, what's going on? Nothing. <laughs> and then three yeah. days later, it'll be like, I'm really upset that this happened. And I'm like, dude, three days ago, we could have talked about that, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, you've just been stewing and brewing over there. Yeah. Yeah, I've been recently talking a lot, just trying to figure out my own languaging about the work that I do and distilling it down to the core elements. And I think what you just described with your husband, I've been talking a lot about energetic clutter and thinking about the amount of stuff that can take over and grab our attention and really require so much energy to keep it going. And then we're not able to focus on the things that really matter most to us. Mm -hmm. So as best for any of us, as best we can, like catch something in motion, figure out what we need and give it to ourselves. What would that mean to, to help yourself have what you need in that moment? Well, and you talked about dysregulation. I mean, nothing's going to get you dysregulated more than having something weighing on you, not Mm -hmm. sleeping, Mm -hmm, uh, maybe not eating right because you're in your feels. That's Mm -hmm. not going to support you in any way, you know. And then you're just in this vicious cycle of not feeling your best. Yeah. Yeah. Explain the concept of energetic clutter a little more. I, I love the the idea of that because I can, I have my own idea of what it feels like that it might mean, but what yeah. is energetic clutter and how do we change that? Or yeah. Get rid of it. It's like house cleaning. <laughs> That's right. I mean, if you think about it, just like regular clutter in our homes, right? It's stuff in the space. It's stuff we don't love or use. And it's stuff that just is, I mean, we might, I suppose, love and use it, but it's with other things. And We're not getting the most out of the stuff in that space. And it all can be very overwhelming. It can be difficult to be in that space. So energetic clutter would be very similar in that that it's stuff that takes a lot of our attention and energy. So it is things like limiting beliefs can be, and, and not knowing them. So it can be these ideas, limiting beliefs or different ideas that we all hold on to. Again, a lot from our childhood, but not always. And it could be something like you're not enough or productivity is the most important thing. And don't worry about what your heart's saying. Those ideas that kind of interfere with us connecting to ourselves and choosing what we want. 
And it could be things, patterns, sometimes thinking, well, I've got to take care of everybody else and everything else before I can take care of myself. And then by the time you get to the end of the day, you're so depleted, you start it all over the next day. And so the energy that it takes to kind of get through your day and then not replenish, you're in this constant state of feeling depleted. I think energetic clutter can also be something like staying around toxic people in your life so that you're engaged in these very toxic patterns and you're not honoring that that's not serving you and that that relationship is not helping you or healthy. And those kinds of things, different patterns, different limiting beliefs that really demand a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I absolutely believe that. Uh, thinking back to my marriage and, you know, how long I stayed in it and why I stayed in it, you know, and a lot of it was my kids and a lot of it was guilt for my family to stay with my mm-hmm. ex because of my kids. And they're like, do it for the kids. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, I was so bogged down with energetic clutter. Mm-hmm that I was not a present mom yeah, because I had too much other crap going on. That's right. You know, all my energy was focused on whatever nightmare he was creating off in the distance that I had to clean up or, you know, the things he said to me or what he was doing on the side or, you know. And Mm -hmm. I was so wrapped up in that and feeling bad and feeling unfulfilled and unloved that... I wasn't able to be there for my kids the way I needed to be there. And I see that now. And I think, you know, how many people stay in these situations because they're convinced that's the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if you're not able to be your best self, that's right. then you're doing everybody a disservice. Yeah, that's right. And I think what you're speaking to as well is besides learning, giving yourself permission, learning about boundaries, setting boundaries, not just with other people, with your own self, even like, all right, I am just going to let myself rest for 10 minutes, whatever it might be. All of those are important skills to have so that you can help start to connect to yourself and catch your breath and figure out what you want and need. It's hard to even know, right? If, if you're yeah. living in that space, you can't even access what is true for you. Right. So listeners might be listening right now and thinking, you know, I know I'm not living my best self. I know it. You mm-hmm. know, they're, they're having this awareness. They know this is, you know, life is more than, it has to be more than this. So how do they find, you know, their best self? How do they find what lights them up? Yeah. I think even before getting to what lights them up, if somebody's coming to that realization from a place of, yes, I mean, I'm irritable a lot. I'm resentful a lot. I'm exhausted a lot. To start tracking some of those things. When are you feeling exhausted? When are you feeling resentful? Which is often by saying yes to things we don't want to be saying yes to, but we don't feel like... Right? So, Mm -hmm. So we don't feel like it's okay to say no and start looking at those patterns And really incrementally picking a way to start to let, give yourself permission is big. Brene Brown is very big on, she does this whole permission slip thing. I think even Mm -hmm. she said she has little permission. I think she has actual permission slips that she sticks in her pockets. And I, I saw something she was talking about when she met. Oprah giving herself permission to be giddy around Oprah. But I think that's so cute, you know, (laughs) like just Uh that idea of 
what do you need to give yourself permission for? And groups can be amazing for this as well, to be able to say out loud in front of witnesses, I want to do this thing. I'm going to give myself permission to do this thing. And there's something very lasting about having said that with witnesses and then going into your life and remembering, oh yeah, I said I was going to do that. And you can almost sort of see the people that are on your team supporting you through some of those shifts and let yourself shift a little at a time. One of the things that we do in our groups as we celebrate each other, and I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but recognizing how huge those little incremental steps are, because starting to shift is really hard and every little step is really huge. And to celebrate that and, and, you know, just know that you're doing an amazing job. You're exactly right that having that, that accountability to the yes. group makes such mm-hmm. a difference. You know, we often mm-hmm. find you just, in fact, either today or yesterday, someone in our community said, you know, why am I so much more successful when I come here and tell y'all what I'm going to do today? And then I do it. I'm like, well, because mm-hmm. you, you set it out there and you feel like yeah. you would be letting us down. It's right. somehow can be a lot easier to let yourself down than to let other people down. And when you know it's a change you want to make, then in the moment, you're like, oh, I just can't be like, wait, I promised I would. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you're more likely to Mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. Well, and listen, I think we all like a little pat on the back, right? Nothing boosts your day (laughs) like a pat on the back. So there's something about that accountability of being like, well, if I follow through, I can go report back that I did this and then I'll get a pat on the back. Yeah. We, I mean, we like that. People, people like that. We need that. Totally. And that's what I was going to say as well. I know you and I both were like energized by (laughs) sort of wanting to respond to that. And I was thinking the same thing to be able to come and report back like I did it. That feels amazing. That's one more success in your success column, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, every little success counts and I think it builds, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like if you are feeling so down and you don't feel like you're, you're winning, right? It just takes one little one little win, and then you mm-hmm. add another win to that. And pretty soon your win column, it's growing. Yeah. But you yeah. have to, like, really be focused on, like, you know, what what, what am I going to do to win today? And mm-hmm. so it doesn't have to be huge. It can be something so small. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in fact, I think it can be problematic if you think it needs to be huge. Then Right. And if you think you need to change too many things at once, that can be part of what feels like actually energetic clutter, right? Because then then it's just like, I gotta, and then you've got the list and then you go around the list again and you're feeling like, oh, there's all these things I've got to do. And then they become unmanageable. But if instead you say, no, I, I need to do this one little thing next and let each step inform the next step, then I think you, you really can move towards transformation. And, you know, with transformation, it's going to have discomfort yes. along the way. <laughs> and and I think that's really important to dig in because mm-hmm. you know this transformation that you're looking for, but it's not going to feel comfortable. What, what do yeah. we do about that discomfort? Yeah. I do a lot of education about just that. I mean, and just saying with transformation comes being vulnerable and a lot of discomfort. We're strengthening these muscles that really haven't been strengthened yet. And we are touching on things that actually got put in place to be protective, right? I was talking earlier about the conditioning or we were talking earlier about the conditioning and a lot of the stuff that we develop in our childhood 
or later is protective. And so when we're trying to unravel some of this stuff that was put in place to protect us, it can feel a little unsafe at mm-hmm. first to start to do that. And so I think the that's where the pacing is really important to pay attention to. Don't move too quickly. And the support you need in place as you're doing something big and something that starts to put us into like more of a threat response. And that's part of the dysregulation. So to pay attention to what a big deal it is really to start to unravel some of this stuff that was trying to protect us. I think, I don't know if it's just me getting older or if the world is changing. I noticed this a lot in the hospital setting. People will do anything to avoid discomfort. And like, I don't know if it's a lack of coping skills or if we are just, we live in a world that's so comfortable that we're not familiar with discomfort. I think a lot of it is that we have, I I know, like I said, I was a teacher for 28 years. And I know when I started in 1990 versus when I retired in 2018, it got to the point where we were, the expectation was as teachers, we were not to allow the children to feel discomfort. If they felt discomfort, that was bad teaching, bad whatever, you know. Sometimes a child needs to feel like they did something wrong. But see, they need I to think, feel that discomfort. I think growth yeah. comes from some oh, yeah. discomfort. I mean, yeah. if you think yeah. back to even like think back to your first day of school, that's always a really uncomfortable. Like, who's gonna be mm-hmm. in my class? Who's my teacher? Am I gonna like it? It's always a little yeah. scary, right? Yeah. But it's not bad. Sometimes some discomfort is good. You start a new job. That's always a little nerve-wracking. You don't know how it's gonna go. You're not gonna know the people, you're not gonna know your boss. Yeah. But that's all growth. And mm-hmm. there's always a little, you know, something to learn in there. And you like, you know, so maybe you start a new job and it's scary and you go and it doesn't turn out like you want. Well, you just learned what you don't want. Mm-hmm. And now you right. know when you go down the road to your next job what you're looking for that's different. Mm-hmm. But I think like in that whole avoidance of being uncomfortable or, you know, sitting with discomfort for a little bit, like, we're not growing. We're not growing. We're not learning. We're not changing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. There was a book that I think it was when my kids were young and they're in their mid twenties now, but the blessings of a skin knee. And I can't even remember who it's oh, by. Oh, I haven't seen that. But well, just that title alone speaks to this idea of building resilience. I right. think mm-hmm. in, in sort of the time that I was having kids, there was that tendency to like really, we as parents have to like protect our kids in this way that our parents didn't protect us. But And of course, you know what we teachers call those parents, the, the helicopter yeah. parents, right? Yeah. They're always around, helicoptering around. Sorry, parents, that's what we said. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. but we've probably been those parents too mm-hmm. from time to time. But yeah. our kids need to learn how to that's right. how to do it on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To build resilience, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. is is so important. And for us to realize it, I mean, just even notice it while we're doing it, while we're jumping in. I think we have a tendency, many of us have a tendency, even not just with our children, with partners, with friends, to like jump right into problem solving. To rather rescue than mode. sort of sitting with some of like, okay, stuff's coming up and you, mm-hmm. you know, you can survive the stuff coming up and then let's see what's next. But to not spiritual bypass sometimes is something that people talk about where trying to go right to sort of the solution or I'm Zen or I'm, I'm all good without really sitting with some of what is coming up and, and 
it's okay to be in that place, but mm-hmm. it can be uncomfortable for sure. Yeah. Do you find when people are new to group, are they a little, I don't want to say fearful. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. But I think fearful yes. is probably the word. <laughs> yeah. I totally. mean, are they a little, yeah. Do they sit yeah. back and intimidated? And kinda, yeah. Yeah. Like totally. how long do you think it takes to really like, if you've never participated in group before, how long do you think it takes to, for a person, an average person to really get comfortable opening up and sharing in a group setting? It so depends on people because I feel like some people are very comfortable, even if they've never been in a group before, they are quite comfortable in a group setting, whereas other people really aren't. I find because I work with a lot of people individually as well, that I'll start to talk to my individual clients about joining a group and I get a lot of resistance. No, 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 Mm -hmm. I can't do it. Similar to what I express, like I can't go in a room full of strangers and there are times when I deal with that for a bit in terms of I'm working with a client, we're working towards group, they're they're not feeling it, they're scared, whatever. And then they finally get into group. And for some people, it can be pretty quick in that, oh, this place is a safe place. I structure my group so that each person kind of has a turn to share. And then I offer a topic to them so they kind of know what they're focusing on and I'll give them a week to even think about the topic because my groups are every other week. And then I'm asking people to talk about what's resonating for them. And I think that when, for, it depends on the person. Some people really like being prepared and they feel a little bit more comfortable with that. Other people maybe didn't even give it a thought and are more spontaneous with that. And when I'm checking in about what resonated for you, some people are like right on it. So it's, it's hard to answer, but I think every group has a culture of its own. And I think part of what I really very mindfully build is a safe place to talk about human things. And I model it and I ask people who have been in my group for longer because people can join existing groups. So they uh-huh. might be the new person in and then other people have been in there already. So some of the existing people who are already comfortable kind of take the others under their wings a bit and that can sort of help them. They can watch the others share so that they kind of know how to do it. So there's a lot of layers to it, but. I wondered like in our group, people will come in and never post for, and then they'll be like, I've been here for three months and this is the first time I've posted. I've just been watching and so I wondered if there's kind of a, a break-in period for some people where they have to really like watch mm-hmm. and observe before they feel like comfortable being part of a group. Yeah, for some sure. Some people, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so like I said, I structure mine and I ask people to share and I'll kind of go around. I mean, I do it all virtually. So I go around the Zoom room and have people share and I know that one of the people in my groups is more uncomfortable and I asked her to share first and it definitely was, she's been in group for a bit, but at being asked to share first was a little bit like, whoa, hey, but it, you know, it's sort of a next step in getting more comfortable. So just even knowing. Well, I love that you asked her are. first because then she's not sitting there worrying about it while 10 other people are sharing, what the school right? teacher in me was, was yeah. thinking as well. Yeah. <laughs> you have a kid that's sweating it. Yeah. Let the kid go first and then the kid can. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So your groups that you work with, are they all in person? Do you do online groups like Zoom? 
Yeah. My groups are all virtual. I also do weekend retreats that are in person. Are your groups, are they like different, like, I don't want to say topic, but do they, do do you have groups that serve different purposes or different goals? I don't really. Uh, I have done that. I've been doing different groups so many years and tried different sort of ways to see what spoke to me more as a facilitator, what seemed to people respond well to. And what I've really come to is just the overlap of being human and that people come into my groups with a wish towards something more of some sort. And they use the group as a way to start speaking about that. So it could be I'm feeling kind of flat and blah, and I want a little bit more excitement in my life. I don't really know what that looks like. I mean, that could be the kind of a goal. And then just starting to understand what are some of the things in the way somebody could very specifically be going through a divorce or wanting a career change, that kind of thing. So what's happening is there can be lots of different things and different ages. I have people, I would say 30s through 60s mostly, Every now and then I have somebody in my 20s and there's always a bit of a chat about like, all right, you're going to be on the younger side. <laughs> and some people are fine with that and some people don't love it. But what I find is then the older people kind of, there's this parent, they, they work Mentor through stuff them. from there. That's right. And also they identify with the kids that are being talked about. The younger person might identify with somebody in group talking about their kids and vice versa. So people can work through some things in their lives and people in group can sort of represent different people in their lives. And not that it is that person, but it helps bring stuff up. I mean, one thing that I love about group is how it touches on unconscious stuff. And so as we're in group and as we're sharing, stuff will bubble to the top and you're like, oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. But now that you mention it, I realize, wow, that really, really resonates for me. And people might not be used to being in such a mixed age group and sharing openly because maybe Mm -hmm. your friends are all your same age. And it's really helpful to hear from people at different life stages than you. Mm -hmm. So we're almost out of time. How can people find you? Do you work with people from all over or do they need to be in your state? I work for, with people from all over. I'm doing coaching, which allows a sort of a broader reach. And the easiest way to find me is my website. My name's a little tricky. So you can find me with clearenergeticclutter.com. Oh, I love that that's the name of your website, clearenergeticclutter.com. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today, Tanya. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you both. Thank you. It was wonderful. And now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It could be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. And today's listener-led lesson comes from Glenda Miller. Glenda says, Hi, Jen and Sherry. As a dedicated follower of the Life Lessons podcast, I've been reminded recently of an important invention that can save lives and its simplicity can't be overstated. I thought your Life Lessons podcast might be able to help spread the word. When listening to Mike Rowe, podcast number 290 of The Way I Heard It, I heard the story of the invention of the Life Vac. I had first seen this product probably a year ago, but once I heard the interview with the inventor, Arthur Lee, I guess is how you say that last name, I felt impressed to spread the word in whatever way I could. As happens often, since hearing the inventor's story on December 13th, I have seen several other mentions of the Life Vac. I understand those messages to be nudges from God to me 
that I should help spread this information. If only one life is saved, it will be worthwhile. Your Life Lessons podcast has taught me so much useful information that can make our lives better, and possibly this life-saving product is something that you too will see as an important safety item to have on hand in our homes, schools, churches, and other public spaces. As vital as the medical AED devices are, and those are like the automatic defibrillators, right, Uh Sherry? AEDs are defibrillators. I don't know why I can't say that word today. This product could be a simple and inexpensive addition to all other life-saving equipment. God bless you both, and thank you for all the work you do to enrich the lives of others. So what's the life vac, Sherry? I know you looked it up. Well, if somebody's choking— That's what I guessed. It sucks out whatever they're choking on. All right. That's what I thought it might be. It sounded like that. And I'm going to be honest. I do see the benefit in this for sure. Um, Like I'm thinking in restaurants especially. That they should have one around. Yeah. Or like an elementary school cafeteria. I mean, like, listen, my husband's always asking me to put my arms around him to help. He wants me to pop his back. Like, he'll squeeze me and pop my back, right? He'll be like, pop mine. I can't get my arms around him just to squeeze. It would be hard to do the Heimlich maneuver. Right? Right. And unfortunately, there are people who have a big enough waist. You're not going to be able to get your arms around them to do the Heimlich maneuver, which we don't call it that anymore. Oh, do we not? It's the (laughs) abdominal thrust. I'm sorry. It will always be Heimlich to me. (laughs) Personally, I prefer that over the abdominal thrust. That's true. um, (laughs) That one sounds dirty. I don't know. I know. <laughs> I know. But so, I mean, there's a way you can do it if you're facing a person, but most people don't know that. They don't know how to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I could see. I mean, like, I actually, this crazy story, my uncle was at a steak restaurant and he choked on a piece of steak wow. and a friend of mine was a waitress there and she actually did the Heimlich slash abdominal thrust on him and got the steak out of his throat. Wow. So, but yeah, I could see that this could be yeah, a Restaurants great... and schools. Yes. They need to have this yeah. around. I mean, luckily with kids, they're little enough that you could do it. But at the same time, I could see people at schools being afraid that they'd hurt the kid and yeah. get in trouble. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. Well, at the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Rhonda. She wrote, the following comes from philosopher Alan Watts, his thoughts on mistakes. Regard yourself as a cloud in the flesh because you see clouds never make mistakes. Did you ever see a cloud that was misshapen? Did you ever see a badly designed wave? No, they always do the right thing. But if you will, treat yourself for a while as a cloud or a wave and realize that you don't make a mistake whatever you do. Because even if you do something that appears totally disastrous, it will all come out in the wash somehow or another. Then through this capacity, you will develop a kind of confidence. And through confidence, you will be able to trust your own intuition. This is just one more reminder that so often we, all people really, are chasing the illusion of perfection. And when doing so, we are really just creating reasons to be unsatisfied. Since perfection doesn't exist, we can't achieve it, and we are caught in a loop of living unsatisfied lives, lives that we just get one of, spending time picking apart our bodies, our faces, our strengths, and yes, even our failures. Since nobody is perfect, everybody is going to fail. I think confidence comes from observing your failures and learning from them, 
trusting your gut, sharing yourself and others grace, and embracing the idea that we are all enough and that for the most part, most of us have enough. Stop chasing the dream and start living it. Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to have you join us in the private Life Lessons VIP community. Go to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to become a VIP podcast supporter. Your membership ensures that we can keep bringing you episodes of the Life Lessons podcast each week. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Reviews really do help us reach new listeners. We're a community-driven podcast, and here's how you can be a part of our show each week. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Or do you have an area of expertise that you would like to share as our featured guest for the week as we present our weekly life lesson? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com or use the link in show notes and then listen each week to hear your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye.